So I'm going to do something today that I don't often do. And I used to refer to this whenever uh, someone would get up to preach and they would do what I'm about to do. I would call it Bible surfing because they just move around to different parts of the Bible. And I'm going to Bible surf a little bit today. And kind of what I'm thinking about is I want to do something this week that kind of sets us up for the next series. The next series, again, it's going to be about breaking the mold. We're going to be looking at the early church. We're going to be looking at, at how Jesus led them, how God spoke to them in different ways, and kind of how the church began to grow and move out. And so I want us to look at that really, really close. But anytime you think of things like that, you think about doing something different than you've done before. If you think about you know, blazing a new trail, so to speak, then there are always going to be questions, and you're always going to wonder. And one of the things I've, I've reminded you of in the time that we've been together is that one of the hardest things you'll ever do as a Christian is learn to distinguish what you hear. Is that my voice or is that God's voice? What, what is that I'm hearing inside? Is this a prompting that comes from the Spirit of God or is this just me talking to myself? Is this just me with something I want or is this really the leading of the Lord? So again, it's one of the greatest challenges we have. And, and so it's not uncommon for believers to have moments when they doubt. You know, they, they think God's leading them in a direction. They start down that path and then they back up and they go, wait a minute, is this, is this really God? So if you've ever been there or you're going through that now or something like that, just know it's not uncommon. It's really a normal experience. And, and when things get kind of unglued, then, then it happens more. We just sang the song, God is so good. You know, and, and in my mind, I'm, I'm just thinking about the churches that are, you know, over in the panhandle. And if your church has been destroyed, if your house has all kind of damage, if you can't even get your car out of the driveway, you have no power, no water. But you walk a few blocks and you gather with some Christian people and you start to pray because you still believe God is good. God is good. What can your spiritual enemy do to you? Right? I mean, there, there, you, you can strip away and take away all the things, all the stuff <clears throat> that we think of as so important. And when all of that's gone, if in your heart you still know that God is good. I mean, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? That's God doing something inside of you that changes you, and, and it's not dependent upon your outward circumstances. Your, your wealth can be gone. You know, your property can be gone. Your health could be in danger. All those things can happen, and yet in your heart, you still know He is good. And the best is yet to come. That's a work of God. That's a work of His Spirit. This is a broken world, right? And, and over and over again, we're going to stumble and fall into that because it's just a broken, broken world. You know, as a pastor, I get those questions sometimes, and they always come out in one form or another as the why questions. Like, why did this happen? Or why did this happen to me? You know, and, and, and I don't ever blame a person for asking why. It's just, please understand on the pastor side, sometimes there's not an answer. You know, the, the best answer, if you really wanted to hear it, is we live in a broken world. And if you want to trace that back, you know, if you kind of want a theological trail, it goes back to the original sin. You know, that God made the world good. 
and that he made people good. And Adam and Eve, they were good, but they did sin. And when they sinned, everything fell apart. The whole world was broken, right down to their genetic code. I mean, everything was broken. And we've all been born into that, and we've all lived in that, and we will always live into it until Jesus returns. So the world's going to prove to us over and over again that it's broken. But there's one thing in the world that's not broken, and it is what the Holy Spirit has done in you. It's kind of fun, you know. I, you can think of yourself this way. I, I still have a broken body, you know. It, it wears out, it gets sick, it's all those things, you know. My mind is still broken in some ways because I don't always think like I should or feel like I should or any of those things. But somewhere deeper inside of me, there's a spiritual part of who I am. I'm a spiritual being. And that part has been changed by the Spirit of God. That's why I'm spiritually alive. So you are a spiritually alive person. That part of you is perfect. Not because of anything you've done or anything you've earned, but because of what God's Spirit has done in you. Because God's Spirit is in you. So you're a spiritual person. You've been born again. You're still in this body. You still have this mind. But that's not all there is to you. And what the Spirit started inside of you works its way out. You'll eventually have a new mind. You'll eventually have a new body. And if you'll hear it, you will eventually live in a new world. That's the joy of the Christian gospel. So, between now and then, we're going to find ourselves right there. Not knowing what to do and also with the things we just don't know. What I want to do is show you some things in the Bible where the Bible tells us up front, this is what we don't know. And, and it's not a discouraging thing, it's an encouraging thing. So if you follow along on your phone or, or whatever, and you look at the scripture like that, I'm going to move you around to some different places today. If you just turn it in your Bible, then, you know, just kind of stay with it. We're going to move around a little bit. And I want you to see some of the big things that the Bible says that we don't know. <clears throat> Number one. We don't know what a day holds. We don't know. <clears throat> and there's a scripture right for that. Proverbs 27.1. It says, do not boast about tomorrow. Or for us, Monday. <laughs> don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. All right, I'll take hurricanes over tornadoes if I had to choose, right? As bad as a hurricane can be, you know it's coming. You may not, it still may surprise you in some ways. I mean, you know, when I was kind of communicating with people in Bay County about this one, it, you know, it was coming straight north. It was kind of moving almost directly north, but it was category one, it was category two, you know, it didn't, and then all of a sudden overnight, that thing just got huge. And, and then it made landfall as a, almost a category five storm. And for many, many people, the way they would look at that is, okay, they knew about the storm, they heard about the storm, but it still caught them by surprise. They didn't know what the day was going to bring. I talked to um, Heather Harris last night on Messenger uh, because she, there are hot spots. Um, the, the cable company and uh, Verizon and AT&T, those companies have come in and they're trying to set up hot spots everywhere so people can, can get information in and out. And, <clears throat> and so I spoke to her about it. And she just, she just said, you know, we, once the storm got big, we didn't have time to move. That, that was her, her way of describing it, that it just kind of blew up and they didn't have time to get everything together and get out. And, and really, unless you just wanted to grab a few things and jump in your car and go, that's, that's what happened to a lot of people. 
Um, I, I'm going to tell you this because I need to tell it. I think I just need to tell it, and I need us to pray about it as a church. Um, some, some guys I know who are firefighters, who are firefighters in Panama City that then later moved to the Dothan area, they've, they've gone back, and they're doing some work in, in and around Lynn Haven, and, and they're just saying, you know, look, we're finding bodies. That's what they're saying. It's not getting reported right now. We can't identify people, but the water came in from the bay. It just swept through the city, and you know, people got electrocuted and other things, and it's just, he said, we're finding bodies. And that's just awful stuff. You never know what a day is going to bring. You never know. And I mentioned hurricanes and tornadoes. You know, it's the same thing. You can start a day and everything's great, and the next thing you know is just devastation. But as bad as that is, let's turn that around too. Because you never know how good a day can be. You never know what good may be presented to you in a day. You never know when you might have the opportunity to be there or say something or do something in someone's life that's going to change the course of their life forever. I mean, think about it. If, if you just kind of took a moment, let your mind go back and, and remember some things, there are probably three or four things that you can identify. Something happened on this day that changed your life for good forever, right? Just some of those moments that were crucial that just changed the whole direction of your, whole direction of your life. You know, I think about the day that, that I first prayed to Jesus. You know, I, I mean, I, it's not that I hadn't heard of Jesus. I just had, I mean, I was a kid. I just didn't know. And, and, and when I went into that church that day, I sat on the front row like Cheryl. I was right there, you know, like I was in that spot. The preacher was here and I was there. And, and he was preaching. And I don't know why. It's just on that particular day when he started take, talking about Jesus, it made sense to me. I started to understand something. I started to know something differently. And when it came time to respond, you know, we used to call those invitations. Remember those? Y'all been in churches that did invitations? I call it response now. Lots of people do. But we used to have invitations. And when it was the invitation time, I literally just spun around on my pew, got down on my knees, and that was the first time that I really prayed to Jesus. And that changed my life. It changed who I was. It changed the direction of my life. And, and I've told, I think, this before. The funniest part to me about that when I look back is that when that was over, I got up, ran out the door, and got on the bus to go home. I didn't tell anybody they had candy on the bus. I was kind of in a hurry. <laughs> you know. And it's just the funniest thing to me because I look back and I go, that was a life-changing moment. Everything I am today can be traced back to that moment when I first came to know Jesus Christ. And that happened, and all I could think when it was over was, that's good, Jesus. Hey, there's candy on the bus. And out the door I went, and I didn't tell anybody. That's why I wasn't baptized for several more years. I, I know I didn't know you were supposed to be baptized after you come to know the Lord. I, I didn't know that. So that happened years for me, years later. But again, it can be positive as much as it can be negative, but you never know what a day may bring. So we don't boast about tomorrow. We trust in the Lord for today and whatever tomorrow is going to bring. All right, so that's where we start. We don't know what a day holds. Number two, we don't know what we shall be. This is, is one of the, oh, it's not coming out real good for you, is it? It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. And so it's looking a little funny on there. There's 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. But, but you see the words there, even if you can't quite see the reference. But this is one of those mysterious and wonderful passages in the Bible. So look at it. 
Now, we are children of God. We are children of God. We know Him. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Alright, so you need to use kind of your biblical imagination on this one. The person sitting next to you, they are way more than you see right now. The person sitting next to you, they're not just the person sitting next to you. In fact, C.S. Lewis said, if you could see a Christian, a believer, for what they are, like if you could see them now for what they will look like in eternity, you might be tempted to fall down and worship them. Because they're going to be so different than they are right now. You and I were born into a broken world. We are broken people. I beat that drum over and over again. I just always want us to keep that in mind. But you won't always be this way. This is not what you were intended to be. There will come a time when you will be without any taint of sin whatsoever. It's really kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? So when you're looking at the scriptures, you say, well, it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but this is what we do know. We'll be like Jesus. He is the firstborn from the dead. He, he had a body just like you and I. You know, he, he, he walked, he talked, he ate, he did all the things people do. And then they nailed him to a cross and he bled out and he died. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. And then he walked around in a resurrected body and he, you know, he, he walked, he talked, he ate, he did all those things. He, he met with his disciples and, and he still had the scars from his crucifixion. Someone asked me this past week, why did Jesus still have his scars? I mean, if he was resurrected, if he was perfect, why did he still have his scars? That's a good question, by the way, right? So I'm going to give you my first answer. I don't know. <laughs> That's my first answer. Now let me give you some thoughts on it, okay? Because, because, you know, this is what the person was asking me. Well, are we going to have our scars when we're resurrected, when we're in eternity? Are we going to have our scars? I don't know. I don't know. Some of us are going, I hope not. <laughs> you know, want all that gone. But his scars are different. His scars matter forever. His scars are kind of a, an eternal reminder of how we all got there. Not one of us gets into the kingdom of heaven without his scars. If he doesn't do that, we don't have this. So maybe that's it. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't give us an answer. But, but that's one of my first thoughts as to why Jesus still has his scars. But he's in his resurrected body. He still walked the earth after his resurrection. He, he cooked fish. He ate. You know, he did all those normal things. He also appeared in a room without coming through the door or a window. Just let that sink in for a little bit. So he was different, but he was the same. He was resurrected. When, when you get started in the book of Acts, after 40 days, they take him out. He takes them out to a place and he says his final little things to them. And then in that same body, he literally just rises up and disappears. I know it sounds like something out of a movie, right? When you're talking to people who don't have a church background, if you tell them that, they'll look at you like, he did what? He did. He was in that same body. He just ascended up and he disappeared in the clouds and an angel showed up and said, why are you looking into the clouds? He went that way. He'll come back the same way. He'll come back the same way. Now, if you're a person of faith, you can accept that. You can accept that, that unbelievable kind of statement of what he did and how he's coming back because you've already accepted the fact that they killed him and he's alive. You know, he came back from the dead. So these other things don't, don't 
hang us up too much. But for people outside of our faith, they hear those little things and they just think it's odd. You know, they just, it's hard to wrap their mind around it. And, and I get that. I understand that. But he rose from the dead. And he's the firstborn from the dead. And one day, the scripture says, a trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ rise first. Then those who are alive at that moment, they will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the scripture says, and we will rise up together to meet Christ in the air and will forever be with him. That's what's coming. That's your future. That's mine. My kids ask me where I want to be buried. I'm in no hurry. <laughs> but they asked me this kind of thing, you know, and, and I told them, I said, I want to be buried in a church cemetery. Church cemetery. You can put me other places or whatever, but this is my preference. I want to be buried in a church cemetery. And they're like, why? I said, well, I got a lot of reasons for it. One, church is really important to me. And two, I mean, I've given most of my life to serving God's people in a local church. And by the way, it's getting harder and harder to find church cemeteries, right? The churches don't do that much anymore, okay? I have a place. But I, but, but I want to be buried. If you, if you know anything about church cemeteries, all, the, all the, the headstones face east. You know why? Because Jesus is going to return from the east. So when you, you know, the helicopter pilots, I was talking about Fort Rucker earlier. Uh, one of our men in that church who used to train helicopter pilots, he would use that as kind of a, it was a teaching tool, but it also helped him talk about his faith. He would, he would teach the young guys, you know, if you get disoriented, you don't know which way's which. He said, just find you a church cemetery because all the grave markers are going to face east every time. And that got him started talking about it. But I want to be buried in a church cemetery because of what I just said a moment ago. A trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ do rise first. I don't know how long I'm going to be in the ground. My body may be jelly. It may be dust. I don't know. But what I do know is it won't stay that way. It's going to be resurrected. And as odd as that may sound to some people, as hard as it may be to wrap their mind around that, that's what's going to happen. So when I do a, a Christian funeral, I never say this is the final resting place. It's not. It's just a temporary resting place. That's where we put the body now. And if someone's cremated and they're ashes and they're sitting on your mantle or in your house somewhere, look, that's still just a temporary resting place. You say, but we scattered them in the ocean. Doesn't matter. God knows where they are. God knows where we all are. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So I, I want to be in a church cemetery because when I, when I come out of the ground, I want to see people around me. That's my thought. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but that's what I'm thinking. Because we don't know yet everything we're going to be, but we're going to be like him. So there's some things we don't know, but there's a little bit that we do. All right, here's the next one, number three. This one may help you today. We don't know how to pray. If you ever get discouraged about prayer, if you ever um, get to a point where you're like, God, all this stuff's going on, and I don't, know what, I don't even know what to say to you, God, that's all right. It's okay. You are not the first person this has ever happened to. And this is a wonderful passage, Romans 8, 26. And by the way, Romans 8, you can camp out in that chapter and stay there a long time. There's so much good for you in Romans chapter 8. But, but here's this particular verse. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses, but we do not know how to pray as we should. That's good. I feel that way. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's supposed to help your heart today. 
If you've never prayed and all you could really get out was a groan, you know. If you've ever been there, you know, like, you, you, you want to pray, you're not even thinking about praying, you're just starting to pray, and, and you can't even think of the words. Really what comes out is more like a groan. It's a cry. It is not surprising to me when you read the Psalms that it speaks over and over again of crying out to the Lord. And sometimes it literally means cry. The Spirit does something, according to this passage, that's so deep you can't really put it into words. But the Spirit intercedes for us. And what we, what we can accept in that is that when the Spirit intercedes for us, it's a perfect prayer. It's exact. So in other words, when you don't know the words and you don't know what to say, just know that God's Spirit's going to help you pray and you, you really can't do it wrong. The Spirit's going to intercede. That prayer that needs to be prayed for you, it's going to be prayed. It's going to be offered by God's Spirit. Now let me give you something and, and a reason to pray for other people, okay? God never forgets a prayer. That makes sense, right? Because God, any prayer you've ever prayed, He's never forgotten it. Any prayer that you ever offer in the future, He'll never forget it. In that sense, prayers are eternal. They last forever. So when you pray, you're doing something eternal in nature. It's not because of you, it's because of God. It's the God who hears the prayer. So pray. And pray over and over again. And if you don't feel like you know how to pray... You know, what I would say to you is just start talking to God. People say, I don't know what to say. Just, just, just start talking to God. It may feel weird. It may feel awkward. You may not really know if you're doing it right. You can't do it wrong. I promise He can hear. So just, just start talking to God. It'll get better. And then if you really want to take it to the next level, find you some of those great prayers in the Bible. Go to the Psalms, for example. There's 150 chapters there. Pick one. And start looking at it, and pretty quick you'll see something that looks like a prayer. It looks like someone talking straight to God. Just start praying those prayers. It'll get you started. If you don't know how to pray, you don't always know how to pray. Alright, this might be my favorite one of what we're doing today. But we don't know what God will do with our efforts. We don't know. Ecclesiastes. So jump into the Old Testament for this. So this is some Old Testament wisdom. This, this came from Solomon. And if you remember anything about Solomon, he was the son of David and Bathsheba. He was the son born after the one before him died. You know, he, he was the one that, that uh, would do the things his father could never do. That God wouldn't let his dad do, but God would let him do. And he sits down to write some wisdom, and he writes a lot of it, and he writes this. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. God, that makes sense. <laughs> you don't know which field's going to do right. You know which one's going to do better. Which wheat it was planted is going to turn out to be the, the one. Again, I have so many connections to the wiregrass area where cotton is king. You know, they grow the cotton. And this is, this is cotton picking time. And that storm came through and it just blew all that cotton away. 
you know so for some people it's, it's just financially devastating right now because it's all gone and you know you take a scripture like this you don't know they, they, they planted that seed they did that work in faith I used to have a farmer named Jack and he when, when the seed was delivered to his barn it would be on these big pallets and he'd always ask me to come and pray and he'd gather all his workers together and we'd all just walk over there and we'd just you know circle up around this big you know pallets of, of seed and we would just pray because only God knows the future all this work's going to be done people's livelihood is depending on this you know and so much is going to go into it and it's going to be months down the road before that you know anybody knows is, is it going to be profitable or is it not but you do it all in faith you do it all in faith and that's what the scripture is saying to us and we know that from from that kind of imagery but this is this is what this scripture is reminding us of it's it's more than that it's not just the physical work we do or the physical things that we do it's the spiritual things too like you just don't know when the really good things are happening I have often wondered, because God loves to do things really, really small. Some of the most beautiful things you'll ever see in the world are small things. Some of the most beautiful things you'll ever see in the world are the things other people walk right by. This morning I posted a picture of a flower. That plant hasn't bloomed in weeks. You know, it's just kind of, I guess it's been too hot or whatever. It didn't do anything. I walked out the door this morning and there it was. You know, just beautiful, beautiful. And I know I was running kind of late. You know, I was thinking, oh, John and Judy are already here. I got to go. Got to go. But I had to stop. And I had to take a picture of that flower. I had to just pause for a moment. Can I tell you something about beauty? Anything in this world that you see is beautiful, it's either one of two things. It's something left over from the glory of the way this world was created, perfect and good. Or it is a prophecy reminding us of what's coming. Every time, I mean, you know, like I don't think the cats and the dogs see beauty in the world. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. But people do. We, we you know, a, a, you sit there with your puppy and watch the sunrise. The dog may not care. But it matters to you because you look at it and you go, that's beautiful. And every time you see, it's because the image of God is in you. And every time you see something beauty, beautiful, it's, it's a reminder of what's left over. It's kind of a a leftover of this perfect world that was made that way, or it's reminding us of what's coming, what's going to happen, where we're going to be. That's why beauty matters to us. That's why, that's why no one can really put a finger on it and define what beauty is. We just know it when we see it. We know it when we hear it. We know it when we feel it. Something inside of us resonates with it. We go, that's beautiful. And, and someone else goes, well, why? And you go, I don't know, it just is. You know, it's just beautiful. So you, you do these things. It's the words you say. It's the actions you take. It's the reason that, that I like to pray about your every interaction that you have with people. Because you don't know when a small word or a gesture or a kind action will change somebody's life. You don't know. This coming week, just be sensitive to that. Just be sensitive to the, these people that, like, you, you're going to see cashiers probably. You, you may order, you know, a, 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 I don't know, order a pizza or whatever you do. You go pick up, some, or you're at the grocery store, and, you know, there's that person on the other side. And just in those little moments, you never know what a difference you can make in someone's life. 
or that person you get a chance to sit down and talk to that you hadn't really talked to in a long time, or, or that phone call, or these days even that series of text messages, whatever it is, your words matter, your actions matter. We don't know what God will do with our effort. So let me, let me kind of wrap this up pretty quick. This is what I wanted to say. So when you're going forward with this idea, this is really how you can apply it. This scripture is wonderful. It's Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not quit. Put that with the scripture we just looked at in Ecclesiastes. So just think of it like a farmer. You're planting seeds of good every day. Your actions, your words, how you spend time with people, who you spend time with, all that. It's just like planting seed. And, and just don't stop doing that. Don't give up doing that because you will reap what you sow. You will. This is not karma, okay? That's a that's an Eastern thing, and it's a whole different way of doing that. But there, there is something that people often think about. That is, whatever I do kind of comes back to me. Right? But I don't want you to think karma because this isn't karma. This is called reaping what you sow. It is the way God made the world. He made the world so that if you, you do good, some good is going to come out of it. It may not be the same kind of good that you intended. It may not be the same kind of good you even did initially. But, but the good will come out of it. So keep doing good. Don't grow weary. Second one. Really second and third one. First I would just say be faithful. Be faithful in it. Just stay with it. We talked about this a little bit last week. You know, sometimes people just give up too early. Don't give up. Hang in there. Stay where you are. Be faithful. Keep doing good. And then the third one, don't stop now. When the work is the hardest, that may, may be when you're doing your best service. My pastor growing up, he was my pastor the longest, is a man named Gene Gaines. And, and the time that he was my pastor when I was uh, in my late teens, was a time that was just transformative for me. You know, it's when, it's when God called me to ministry. It's when so many really important things in the spiritual part of who I am happened. And Gene was my pastor through all of that. And years later, we talked about it. He was there eight years in that church. And he told me, he said, Taylor, that was the hardest church I ever served. He said, I know you didn't really see it because of where you were. He said, I know you didn't really hear about it. You know, maybe you heard a little. He said, but, but it was awful. <laughs> he, said, he said, there were people fighting and arguing and coming after me over and over again. So he's, he looks back at that and he says, it was, it was eight of the hardest years of my life. But I'm on my side going, I'm so glad you were there. I am so glad you were there. You know, like God, God just kept working through this man to change my life and to teach me the scripture and to help me. And, and that's what I'm trying to say to you. Like you may be going through a really difficult time. It may be a very hard time for you, but just know that you might be doing some of the most important things that you're ever going to do. Could be. That's why we don't stop. Last one I want to share with you. This is what it always comes down to is that we have to trust him not our understanding or even our own ways. It will always come down to trust. Uh, years ago, I had to write a paper about marriage. And I had to write something about kind of the foundation of marriage and all of that kind of thing. And nearly everyone in my, in my, my class wrote about love being the most important thing. And I didn't do that. 
<laughs> I wrote about trust. Because you can love somebody you don't trust. But if you trust them, they're real easy to love. Right? And, and I know I got some people in here, you, you know, you've been married a long time. And, and, and you know what I'm getting at. Sometimes you, you really love your spouse, and sometimes you don't. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I guess if you ask my wife, do you love him all the time? She'd go, ah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she might. She might. And, and what I say is, um, I love my wife, but I've been in love with her many times. Does that make sense? That feeling, kind of the, you know, the joy and excitement of falling in love. That's happened over and over again. That comes and goes. Because, by the way, you can't, you can't live that way all the time. You know, it's just emotionally you can't handle it. So, you, you know, it, it just ebbs and it flows. But what's, what's under all of that for our marriage is trust. So you can love somebody you don't trust. But if you trust them, they're really easy to love. The reason I share that with you is because marriage was given to us as a way of understanding the relationship between Christ and his church. That's why marriage, is, as wonderful as it is, it's not eternal. You know, it ends because the thing that it points to is a relationship with Christ. And, and just like in an earthly marriage, what's at the, the root of that, at the foundation of that is trust. It's always that way with Christ. We trust Him. You're counting on Him for your very eternity. You're counting on Him for your life today. Whether you even think about it, you're trusting Him for your next heartbeat. It's always about trust. And so this, this last thing is you're thinking about going forward and, 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 you know, next week we'll start looking at what the church does and we'll be thinking about our own lives and our own church. And, and, and there may be things that just seem a little too far out there for you or a little bit more than what you were interested in or whatever, but it'll always come down to trust. Do you trust him? You don't, you don't have to trust your understanding. You don't have to trust your ways. You don't have to trust the way you've always done it. You can trust him. All right, we got to bring this to an end. So in just a moment, we'll stand. I'll lead us in a prayer. And I want you to have a few moments to just respond to God. You can pray and talk to God right where you are. And if you want to pray with me, I'm going to stand right down front. I'll be glad to pray with you. But I want you to have those moments to respond to whatever it is, you know, he stirred in your mind and in your heart. Let's stand together. Our Father in heaven, You've been so good to us. We sang about your goodness today. And so we pray, we ask you, Lord, to help us. Whatever you've stirred in the minds and hearts of people now, I pray that they'll respond to you. I pray they'll talk to you. I pray they'll say yes to you. Lord, bring us more. Bring us that way. Help us to trust you. For we pray it in Jesus' name.